My new favorite NHL meme. Is, uh, that was so fun. I didn't realize he was that funny. This is uh, Jordan Martin. Jordan Martin. If you see this video, we highly recommend checking it out. It's just him annoying Andrei Svechnikov in the line to either get on the ice or after getting it's like off the, the ice. Game. Yeah. It's like the pump up line. I thought some of that, it seemed like it was like they were coming off the ice too. So I don't know if it's post warmups or like after a period, it must be post warmups because he seems very loose. So <laughs> the genuine fear of beginning an NHL game is lost on Jordan Martinuk. I mean, maybe that's what, maybe there's some design to it. Like he's trying to keep Svetch loose or something just by terrorizing him with his own name. I don't know. And there's the blood curdling scream before most of them as well. Like a, a- <laughs> Oh, yeah, Mr. Svechnikov. <laughs> but he he holds it for a good five, know, 10, my, 15 seconds. <laughs> my lungs can't really do that. No, no, I I start coughing if I try and wail like that. There's no Freddie Mercury in my lungs. All right, welcome. This is the Handsome Hockey Podcast, episode fifteen. Episode fifteen. I had a lot of people ask me where are episodes one through eight, just to answer that question. <laughs> They're in the vault for now. Mm-hmm. Some of these might get published in like a season zero or whatnot. A lot of it has to do with the bubble hockey and random bits of thoughts and funniness. I mean, the funny parts, I think we'll edit out and, and show people first. And we're going to touch on this again today, but we did also spend a lot of time talking about Black Lives Matter and the impact mm-hmm. on the hockey world. And those those are things. There are definitely snippets in there that we're going to bring out and give light to in, in the future. But for now, you get episode 15 later this week. Yeah. And for episode 15 and for these snippets that we're talking about and for back episodes, check out handsomehockey.com. Or any of our feeds on Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Spotify, Apple. If you know. get your podcast somewhere, chances are you can find us there. And you can always find us on the website. Yes. And I had to teach my mom how to use Spotify so she could listen to our oh, podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So if we you, had hockey this week. We we had real live in the flesh. Well, not for not in the flesh, I guess that would be us playing again. And that's not, that's not going to happen for a while. <laughs> Through the screens, hockey? Yes, yes. We we were able to watch hockey on the television once more. But it's not a video game this time. And it was great. It was fantastic. The pucks are flying. People are flying. You know, you got to see Nazem Kadri complain about committing a very obvious penalty with all of his force mayor that he can bring to the refs. It was like, oh, yes, hockey is back. Like, you just boarded a dude. Quit complaining about going to the box. The thing I love about hockey commentators, I think, more so than any other North American sport, is they're willing to call out the foolishness mm-hmm. of the players they are commentating on. And so making it a point to say that he's arguing on the way to the box and this will get him nowhere. You see a player take a dive after a rather innocuous slash or check and it draw a penalty and they will call out the player for diving. I really appreciate that because if you watch most sporting events in North America, 
that doesn't happen. There's definitely a, an English football quality to that sort of commentating. Sadly, without Doc Emmerich anymore, we don't have kind of the colorful uh, veracity that you get in English football commentary, but you get a lot of the removing of ambiguity between the player and the commentator, and they're not sitting there trying to make everybody out to be a hero. It's like, oh, yeah, that was a dive. He looked like he was shot. (laughs) I hope he's okay. Wink, wink. So from those games. Yeah, Tampa, defending champs, returned to the ice for the first time as cup defenders, and they absolutely waxed Chicago twice in a row. They absolutely look like there's going to be zero cup hangover, which is, I suppose, to be expected if you have a healthy Steven Stamkos who has legs that haven't skated on ice in many months except to score one goal so he could feel good about getting a Stanley Cup that he deserved. I didn't watch any of the the Malcolm Subban experience on game one. I saw he made one unreal save and that was largely a sieve for the rest of the night. And good for him for getting that on tape because it's going to be a lot of other bad tape. Like it was a desperation save. He heaves back, gets the puck with his like the backside of his blocker is stick. It's like an outfielder being out of position and then running and, you know, making an amazing save. Like, you know, Subban was pretty good as a backup to Marc-Andre Fleury in Vegas, but that's with a very good Vegas team in front of him. And so I think with being a starter in front of a not very good Chicago team, (laughs) that's that's a whole different can of worms for him. It is. And it's a different mental can of worms, I guess, for any goalie. You would think that he'd be prepared for it, you know, going into the season and understanding what this team is. But yeah, I don't necessarily think he's up to the task of improving the Blackhawks chances this year. Maybe Uh, that was the point. (laughs) Right. Yeah. They're leaning into the tank hard, obviously, with their goalie selections, but you would like to see at least one of them rise to the top as some sort of cream for next year. So, yep, on to Colin Delia and Kevin Lankinen would be my choice as coach, but obviously I am not Jeremy Colleton, nowhere near as handsome as Jeremy Colleton. He's an extremely handsome man. He would fit well on a handsome hockey podcast. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, anytime I've you know been around girls watching a Blackhawks game, they're like, oh, who's that behind the bench? Fanning themselves. Who's that like- new assistant coach? And you're like, oh, he's the head coach. Oh, my. He's so young to be a head coach. And dreamy. (laughs) They fan themselves like 1920s flappers. Yeah. The Colleton hire was actually just to prepare all the female Blackhawk Chicago fans for like trading Kane and Taves. They (laughs) announce the coaches at the beginning of the game and then they throw panties and bras at him (laughs) on the bench as a coach. Never been done before. Looking forward to seeing it. Chicago, our team sucks, but our coaches are the best looking in the league. Moving on, the Flyers and the Penguins had a season opening series, and the Flyers largely did to the Penguins what Tampa did to Blackhawks. It was a little bit more even. I mean, a little bit for a while. And then mm-hmm. the Flyers were like, I, pu- I put my hand on your face and tell you <laughs> no. So I watched most of the first game and most of the second game. Unfortunately, the Flyers did lose Sean Couturier for two weeks with a separated uh, shoulder, I think. Something something was separated. I didn't recognize the name because A, I don't know Latin, and B, I'm not a doctor. But so he's Maybe those a, two things go hand in hand. They they I think you <laughs> very much so. So Couturier is out for two weeks, which is a big blow to them, especially in such a shortened season. But they made the Penguins look 
real bad yeah for probably like five-ish periods out of six outside of Sidney crosby's ridiculous i'm going to knock this puck out of midair <laughs> and then shovel it into the net goal oh yeah so i have a long-standing hatred of Sidney crosby but he's also one of the best hockey players of all time and definitely mm-hmm. in the league right now and like a play like that you just go uh-huh all right yeah. and it's a little unique to him in like how he sort of holds his stick and always like def- he always seems to deflect the the puck you know with such amazing touch like right where he wants it to go and the jerk <laughs> that was such a capital S Sid goal one that will probably be on a Hall of Fame real montage yeah one would think because it Hall was so fame, awesome his Hall of Fame montage is going to be like twenty seven minutes long. And it'll like, all be probably really awesome. Yeah, people, <laughs> like, people in the crowd will just be... Because we'll, I'm assuming that we'll be able to have crowds again. <laughs> like People in the crowd will just be like sleeping by the end of it. And they'll be like, the career of Sidney Crosby. And people will wake up and be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Where am I? Oh, our, you're in Saskatoon. <laughs> good luck. But so our prognostication so far, Carter Hart winning the Vesna for me. Looks pretty good so far. Evan having Philly coming out of the East and out of like making the finals and having Carter Hart on my fantasy team also looks pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Calgary dropped their 10th straight opening night game, which is kind of an amazing stat that like you have gone a whole decade with or without winning your first game. Like at a certain point, you're just trying to keep the streak alive. <laughs> yeah. The last time you won a game opening night, I think Jerome Ginla was on the roster and he played in Boston for several years before <laughs> retiring multiple years ago. So, yeah, this that would have been 2010-ish, mm-hmm. the opening of the 2010 season. I think it was that, tw- uh 2009. The I world think. was a different perhaps better place in 2009. Well, no, not a better place, just less had been exposed of the mm-hmm. disgusting underbelly of the world and there wasn't a pandemic. So, yeah, th- our naivety scores were higher. Oh man, my if naivety was a rating you got on a video game that influenced <laughs> how your character played the game, my naivety in 2009 would have been like a 94 out of 100, and I would have almost walked into traffic on accident on multiple <laughs> occasions. Naivety is like trading Taylor Hall one for one for Adam Larson. For Adam Larson. It's like a, an oppositional GM video game score. Hey! Have I got a trade for you? <laughs> oh, wow. This sounds like a great trade. I've I've played NHL 20 a little bit against largely against my will because it sucks. Um, <laughs> fuck EA. But my a buddy of mine and I enjoy well, enjoy is like we're largely mad at the game because <laughs> our team has like 16 penalty minutes every game <laughs> and somehow we still win half our games, but you're like the 2008 Boston Bruins. Well, if you try and put out like a relatively even trade, like maybe you win the trade a little bit and the team responds by going, no, we would never do this. And then they ask for like Matt Duchesne and your first round pick for Scott Hartnell. (laughs) And you're like, no, I'm not doing this. (laughs) Like, why would I do that to myself? Isn't Scott Hartnell retired? And they're like, maybe. (laughs) Also, Toronto and Montreal... I think Evan and I were really high on both of those teams. Game, watching that game also made me really high. 
Yes, it was high on hockey. It was so much fun to watch. We didn't even get the appetizer of preseason games this year. Mm -hmm. So it was like them shoving the first part of a seven course meal down your gullet right from the start. Like, but yeah, so Toronto and Montreal had a pretty good opening tilt. Montreal looks really good. Toronto has since looked kind of against Ottawa. So I think that's more of what Ottawa is going to be with the improvements. Like, I think all of the bad teams have sort of taken a eye test sort of step forward except for chicago right and like wayne simmons punched some face which was great <laughs> and punched at least one face per second he he punched a he punched face and then laughed about it which was great ah uh, like, hockey's back like the 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 gloves dropped and you could tell wayne simmons was just like are we really doing this do you want to fight me and then <laughs> It wasn't much of a fight, and then he laughed on his way to the penalty box, which is, mm. I think, so far, outside of the Wings actually winning a game, my favorite yeah. moment just of the NHL season. So chef's far. kiss. Just mwah. So, uh, St. Louis had a great, awesome little mini-series with Colorado. Um, well, for one game. Okay, yeah. The overall series was awesome. That first game had me hella nervous for Colorado, and then they came back and completely just curb stomped st louis and like oh god yeah all right well i guess i'm not nervous for my colorado prediction anymore like i was only 48 hours ago eight to nothing <laughs> is a statement four goals on bennington and then four on the backup bennington was pulled to, kid. and well you know we might say a lot of that this year i don't know so i also think that these two games kind of encapsulated what we're also going to see in terms of how these competing teams play each other like you're going to have wild score swings i think from night to night even if you know effectively the same two teams are taking the floor but it was interesting that like colorado adjusted like the borg you know like oh you hurt us well now we adjust you will be assimilated well and it, since we're playing in these mini series now you get this opportunity to you don't have to wait six weeks to try and figure see if your adjustments work against the team you mm -hmm. get to try them 48 hours or 24 hours later uh, in other news uh, the red wings have finally named another captain and i am so joyous that it is my sweet baby beautiful dylan larkin who had a really bad game as his first as a captain of the red wings and immediately showed up the next day clean shaven and had a great game <laughs> and so hopefully he keeps the keeps the facial hair away for the rest of the season and has himself a, a good year he was but just doing the facial hair for the pictures no he had he had the facial hair for the propaganda for for the name yeah i know that's what, like it was just like to oh, match to match needed, the brand he need to he he's never gonna have a henrik zetterberg beard so he's he's just gotta kind of live with what he's got i was impressed by the beard he could put together i don't know give him time hank's beard was magnificent so it's yeah, you're also comparing like a 36-year-old to a 20 Yeah, but he had that beard when he was like 24. Did he? Oh, yeah. okay. He's mm -hmm. He's been a beautiful man for a long time. Beautiful and well-groomed. These kinds of genes that I'm always jealous of. But yeah, the captaincy stuff, I uh, really loved the little video bits that they did. Well, it they was fun. Back. They went way, way back. Way they back. Had, they Yeah. They had Ted Lindsay and Sid Abel talking about being captains. Gordie Howe talking about being a captain under Ted Lindsay. They had a couple of captains from the 80s, including Steve Eiserman, who is the best hockey player of all time, and then Lidstrom and Zetterberg, who have worn it since Eiserman retired, and they all talk about 
the honor and the privilege and also the pressure that comes with being that captain of a, an original six franchise Larkin for him, it's kind of double. Like he's a Detroit native. Mm-hmm. He grew up, he's the first Michigan born player to ever wear the captaincy in Detroit. He grew up in Waterford, which is a suburb of Detroit. So he's from the area. He played college at U- the university of Michigan. He played in the AHL in Grand Rapids. I, mm-hmm. don't, I don't know if he's ever played for a team outside of the state <laughs> of Michigan. So there's, uh, t- I mean, he's like played tournaments outside of the state of Michigan for teams based in Michigan. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but so he's the, the most Detroit captain of all time. So the other kind of bad team storyline, uh, New Jersey, they went to two straight overtime games versus Boston, dropped the first, lost the second in a amazing buzzer beater. Um, but like Detroit and Ottawa, New Jersey has the look of a much improved team, at least to the eye test so far. And it looks to be starting with Jack Hughes. I think he's kind of taken a step. You can see his sort of vision on the ice and kind of fakes and fades and how he's opening up space for other players. So I think, I think Boston has also taken a step back, you know, losing the defensive depth that they had. Uh, Gerslick has stepped up, but you, it's hard to lose Tori Krug and, Right. And Zidane Chara and keep it up in front. And, you know, Tukarask and Mackenzie Blackwood both looked to be what they were last season in quite good. So I don't know. I think the story for me is New Jersey going up in the power rankings and Boston sort of taking a step down. Well, they'll get pasta back in three weeks mm-hmm. or so. And that'll out obviously help. Uh, to me, like the defensive movement out of the zone is where they were struck. And New Jersey at least has enough speed now and young checking players that they were kind of pestering them in their own zone a whole lot more than I was expecting. Yeah. And we talked about that defensive depth in our season preview. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a struggle for them to adapt because now their defense is also very young. Like Char- Charlie McAvoy is probably one of the more experienced guys on the back end for them. And so there, there's not a lot of experience anymore. I mean, even Tori Krug, who we think of as kind of a younger player was 29 last year. Right. So there's there's a lot of experience, but it's young experience, and so they're going to have to kind of learn together and grow together as a defensive unit as the season progresses. So moving on from actual on-ice news, uh, we have a very crucial breaking news update. Is that Mitch Marner wants a team karaoke machine. He wants it really bad. And, you know, I kind of want to give it to him. You would think Toronto or any of the Toronto players could pick up a karaoke machine. Mitch Marner makes over $10 million a year. The, the kid can't buy a, a fucking karaoke Stop machine. Stop at a Goodwill and grab a karaoke machine. Yeah, have your equipment guy sanitize it. You can get tapes of like Mbop and put them in there and sing your hearts out. But to make a demand, not, not a demand, but to ask the team to buy something that you can easily buy yourself. I don't think he like actually asked the team this. I think it was a joke on social media, but it's a, it's funny. And, you know, I like really want a duet of Joe Thornton and Austin Matthews doing like, I don't know, uh, some Stevie Nicks or something. Some sort of like 80s rap duet. <laughs> they do run DMC. Oh, I can totally see Mitch Marner just like busting out an Eminem bit like he's memorized this for years. When he was seven <laughs> and the Marshall Mathers LP came out. Yeah, I once had a female friend and I met like her new boyfriend and he just did all of Forgot About Dre from memory. And I remember in college being like really impressed by this. 
And like, it's one of those memories that has definitely not aged well. I was, now I'm like, if I was in putting that same position, I would just be like, oh God, this fucking douchebag. He actually still does that when he talks to girls for the first time. He's like, you ever hear that song? Forgot about Dre. I don't doubt that. I knew the whole song. He either does that or he talks about how he has just like walls of analog synthesizers and a graphic design job. Cool. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I fully expect that once Mitch Marner gets his karaoke machine, that Toronto doing karaoke will supplant Ottawa and Vancouver games on TSN uh, because it will just be more important to Canada. Will they wheel it out on the ice and it'll be their like storm surge vari- <laughs> variety? No, it'll just be like back of the bus. It won't even stop the bus. They're just going to like go on the interstate, do loops and sing karaoke. Nothing says the the Toronto Maple Leafs just lost another game like them singing soft Brian Adams ballads while (laughs) looping around the city on the interstate. Yeah, they would choose Brian Adams ballads. So speaking of strange happenings, also uh, Manscaped is apparently making inroads into league advertisements, and they are now the official down-there grooming product of your Montreal Canadiens. I'm just going to ask a question. Mm-hmm. Who buys a specific razor for their nuts or uh, a trimmer? The people that shave their nuts a lot. I mean... Which, the Quebecois, one, not, one wouldn't think that, you know, the Quebecois would be heavily into the shaving. It's cold. Right. Yeah, I got to keep some insulation. And also, you know, the French have a a stereotype, generally inaccurate, but uh, that they're, you know, pro-follicle. Nah, it's accurate. (laughs) Uh, So as somebody who, you know, I won't say that I'm well-kempt down there, but who maintains a decent show, shall we say. (laughs) Trim your shrubbery. Yes. I've never thought, man, I really should get a specific trimmer for this job. Mm-hmm. That's definitely like overpriced and yeah. Fill a niche. I get your thing, Manscaped. Go for it. Everybody's got a niche, but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna give up my trusty old reliable for <laughs> something that probably runs at a significantly higher RPM rate right next to my my dangle bits. I mean, if they can, you know, show that it's an improvement, you know, maybe. I thought it was funny that there's another team that bought into this ad concept but they didn't take it as far they said it was like our official male grooming partner or something and montreal was like oh yeah we're shaving our balls yeah and you know what maybe so toronto gets a karaoke machine maybe this is what montreal does (laughs) in order to you know there's a lot of new faces in montreal there's a lot of new they made a bunch of new signings a lot of trades they've got a new goalie like Maybe this is how they're bonding. They put down some plastic. The All of the lights are turned down low. They play some soft music. <laughs> Maybe Mitch Marner's singing. I don't know. And I, <laughs> then all you hear is the hum of... <laughs> I was imagining like, you know, on the Jumbotron, instead of like name your team like kid photos, like name the scrotum. <laughs> I know it's not Toronto, but I could definitely pick out Joe Thornton's scrotum from that lineup. Uh, it's very wrinkled. <laughs> it looks like a dead elephant head. It's probably like Shea Weber's scrotum on that in Montreal. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. So speaking of scrotums. Yes. Speaking of scrotums. Bye-bye, Mike Milbury. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You find a new job somewhere where we can't hear you. I loved how he found out, too. Like... It was like they released the roster. It was like, by the way, you will see that this feature is no Mike Bilberry. One wonders if they told him ahead of time even. 
I hope not. We're going to get deeper into this because NBC doesn't exactly have the greatest history of hiring, shall we say, thoughtful people. Yeah, they sort of went two steps back or two steps forward, one step back here, but uh, they made the they, they went the right full decision. Paula Abdul on this one. <laughs> the let's just say like we're glad Mike Milbury is gone. I don't need to hear him say derogatory things about women anymore. I don't need to hear him only talk about Boston in a positive light anymore. And that's great. On right. the flip side is Mike Babcock. Uh, the, <sighs> Mike Babcock is definitely more likable when Greg Wyshynski does an impression of Mike Babcock. Yeah, and there isn't like a history of him mentally traumatizing people in his locker rooms. Yeah, it's interesting that like Mike Milbury gets let's go, let go for I don't know being a relic of the past, and Mike Babcock got fired for his coaching techniques being relics of the past. And obviously, his end game is to be a coach again. So, is this sort of his like mea culpa? Mo move like i don't understand nbc's thought process here neither do i and so mike babcock was is a serial mental abuser made johan franzen cry in front of the team during a playoff game he's he's a turd he's a giant turd he made mitt was it mitch marner mm -hmm. sign or write a list of one through however of the hardest workers on the team and then shared that with the team Right. The guy is an asshole. And like most things, it's fair to assume that what we've heard is the tip of the iceberg. We've yes. heard two respected NHL players come out and say, this asshole was an asshole to us. No doubt there's a bunch of good soldiers along the way that just didn't speak up. Yeah, of course. And, you know, the boys club in any sport runs deep. There's a, like, I'm not going to speak up. Enough has already been said culture. But if this is what we got, fuck Mike Babcock. <laughs> And why the hell is his scarred, disheveled, angry ass mug going to be sitting on my NBC feeds now? And he's I, not exactly a great interview. No, he's a curmudgeon. Like he's <laughs> that's putting it nicely. Like he's like this like barbaric old timey guy who probably like wears tidy whiteies and hangs <laughs> them out to dry on a clothesline in the backyard. He totally is a tidy whitey wear. He, God, oh, yeah. And he probably initials them. Like these are empty. My Babcock's <laughs> underpants. Yeah, he's not exactly must see TV. Whereas, you know, Mike Billary, for all of his problems, uh, he belonged on a telecast. Or, you know, Don Cherry, shall he rest in peace, was eh. must-see TV for every Canadian. Because it was just like, what the fuck is this crazy old man going to do next? Which sometimes is great on TV. And like my bad cop, you're going to get just really dry analysis like once a period and you're going to go to sleep halfway through a sound bit. Yeah, hopefully this experiment only lasts like half a season and somebody fires their coach and hires Mike Babcock because at least then I don't have to deal with him in my living room yeah or he's just setting himself up for the seattle job well that's gonna go to gerard gallant but yeah one would hope so yeah so well before we move on to even greater people let's just say like nbc like you are the face of hockey in in america in america least, yeah. come on there are definitely better options out there and it's too bad that we had to kind of sink to replacing one relic of the past with antiquated ideas with another relic of the past with antiquated ideas yeah it sort of seems like they 
didn't fully think this through or maybe only thought of the Canadian market or something or only like only thought of the Canadian market and a market that they don't broadcast in because yeah. TSN has the exclusive rights to broadcasting in Canada. Yeah. It, Oops. This decision gets stranger and stranger the more I like talk about it and think about it and hear or read about it. I'm upset about it. You're upset about it? Yes. But mm. well, you know what makes me happy? Tony D'Angelo? Well, when bad things happen to Tony D'Angelo. Like, Which they did. Like getting healthy scratched. Whoops. Not because he's a giant douchebag, but because he's bad at hockey. Yeah, so we've petitioned in Congress. Hopefully it gets taken up in the next session, but to change Tony D'Angelo's name to Tony Angelo, because the D is sorely missing. The D is silent. <laughs> um, yeah, he, he had a real bad game, got exposed a couple of times. Who did he get absolutely at, just filthy deked by? Nah, I don't remember. Well, was there Sebastian was- Ajo? That was during the playoffs last year where oh, yeah. he, uh, the meme was Tony D'Angelo finally took a knee because he, ah! <laughs> because Sebastian Ahu brought him to his knees <laughs> with a disgusting deke in the playoffs. So for those that don't know, Tony D'Angelo, defenseman for the New York Rangers taxi squad, um, is one of the few outspoken conservatives in the NHL right now. And while we somewhat tolerate more stoic uh, conservatism. He's a, he's a MAGA. He's a Trump guy. Yeah. He's a like, Trump he's guy. He's not a conservative. Right. There's nothing conservative about... I was kind of building uh, there. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, it's, uh, why don't, you're right there. Why don't we edit out my part and you just continue on what you were saying? No, I think that's fine. <laughs> um, he, he's a full-on maggot. And, you know, the memes were great. Like the stick in the wheel meme. Like, ah, my defense sucks. It must have been Antifa. The best part of him deleting his Twitter account was that he was going to jump on parlor, but you can't. And so now Oops. he's without a social media platform because wrong. And I'm not going to go into a diatribe about what the first amendment actually says about freedom of speech, <laughs> but guess what? Companies can dictate who says what on their platforms. So Tony D'Angelo wrongly got pissed off that all of these Republicans and hyper conservatives and alt writers and proud boys were getting booted off of Twitter. And he deleted, I'm guessing, deleted his Twitter account before they deleted it for him and was like, I'm moving to parlor and this is. <laughs> he doesn't sound like that at all. He sounds like an even bigger jerk. He's not from the South at all. Uh, my, I actually haven't heard him talk my which is probably good my apologies actually to the south for including <laughs> tony d'angelo amongst you so he is now uh, as evan so rightfully pointed out a taxi squad player for the new york rangers and the the rangers went from giving up four goals and getting shut out with tony d'angelo in the lineup to winning by a, a larger margin the next night without tony d'angelo in the lineup and quite frankly i hope this continues yeah it would be lovely uh he skated on the line with Condre miller uh who's one of the rookies we're watching and you know seems like maybe tony d'angelo's sort of offensive upside that we've seen for a couple seasons maybe gets buried because he can't play defense but it was nice to see Condre miller stick around and yeah that team do successfully against the islanders shall we move on yeah speaking of of actually you know one more the thought on Tony D'Angelo. Yes, like, please. He's a butthead, but he's young. And part of what I find so funny about this is sort of like what you find funny when, you know, young shithead kids do dumb things is you sort of hope they learn. You sort of hope he could come back from this in some 
way, either his personality or his hockey. Just learn to shut up. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's something that a lot of conservatives need to learn. But when you're a true MAGA fan, like at this point, I think it's obvious your views kind of need to change on some level. You know, you can shift back to normal stoic conservative if you want to, but I think that's the only play there. And yeah, one, one hopes that, you know, he can make a better name for himself moving forward. I, I, I just hope that on like a man level, like I just hope you can do better. So, so speaking of someone who hasn't learned. Evander Kane. His lack of learning is more on the uh, financial. financial side. He's not great with money. I think you can say that empirically now. This is documented in court now. Mm. Evander Kane owes $26.7 million to creditors. He's made over $50 million playing hockey in his life, and he's $26 million in the hole. Yeah, this story to me is just gets crazier and crazier the more details you bring up. Yeah, so this is coming from Matt Bonesteel in the Washington Post. It's been covered elsewhere, but this is kind of the article that gave me the most background data. The article says, in bankruptcy documents dated Saturday and filed in U.S. Bankruptcy Court for the Northern District of California, the 29-year-old native of Canada lists slightly more than $10 million in assets and nearly $27 million in liabilities. Nearly all of Kane's assets are in the form of property, namely a $3 million home in San Jose and two houses in Vancouver, valued at a combined $5.26 million. Documents, so the documents also show Kane near, owes nearly $16 million in unpaid loans, more than $250,000 in unpaid federal and state taxes, $80,000 in credit card debt. He also owes Newport Sports Management, his former agency, $530,000, and also owes another company called Sure Sports another $1.3 million because they helped close on a loan for him. Yikes. Just yikes. He is currently claiming that he makes $2,083 a month, which is less than Evan and I make as yeah, normal human beings. That's bonkers. He has a $7 million contract per year. So are his, garnish, his wages just getting garnished that heavily? Well, according to the Washington Post piece, they haven't, the Sharks haven't been paying certain, some of his debtors. And so they are also now involved in the lawsuits because they are getting sued along with Evander Kane. What? He also claims 1.5 million in gambling losses in the previous year. Oh, I see. So he fancies himself a Michael Jordan, huh? It's both schadenfreude and you just feel bad for him. I don't know where to go with this. I don't know if I feel bad for him. Just because didn't we all learn from MC Hammer? Right. There's a way to manage your money. And didn't we learn from Jack Johnson that it's not to trust your parents? Right. And, you know, once you get to spending money, you just can't stop this. Well, (laughs) we would feel a whole lot better if he didn't just celebrate by slashing the motherfucking shit out of Oliver Ekman Larson. Yeah. Putting Oliver Ekman Larson on the IR for an yet to be determined amount of time after callously slashing him in the back of the head is probably not the best way to celebrate the fact that you've declared bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Evander Kane, all about it. Yeah, you know, one hopes he can find some footing. If it's not just for him, it's for his seven dependents or whatever he has. Um, his like grandparents and his mom and dad are listed is, you know, as dependents. For a professional athlete, like you're kind of expected to take care of those people. I don't know if you're expected. If you have the capability, like his contract suggests that he 
should be. I think that is he's, some level of he's expected. paying out 15k a month to his families, like God, at crazy. a certain point, and he's only got one kid. So at a certain point, you got to tell mom and dad, "Hey, the money pen just ran out of ink." Mm, mm-hmm. I think we can probably transition to some good things, though. Yeah, totally. How do you feel about good things? I like good things. I like good things as well. You know, despite our hard outsides, we do like sweet stories, and uh, we can be huge softies sometimes. I guess we're sort of like uh, gobstoppers. Yeah, uh, or chewy sprees. Mm -hmm. Sour on the outside, tasty and soft in the middle. Leaves a weird taste in your mouth. Like a chemical resin. Yeah. 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 So it's Martin Luther King Day and we're all talking about social issues and and trying to think of how our lives fit into the legacy of Martin Luther King. And I didn't know, but today is also the anniversary of uh, Willie O'Ree's first hockey game in the National Hockey League. And uh, so it's sort of like a double, yeah, it's like a double uh, African-American milestone in one day somehow. So Willie O'Ree who is now 85 years old, is being honored by the Bruins today, honoring him for his contributions to hockey, including being the first black player in the NHL. 1958. He then rejoined the Bruins in 60 and 61, playing 43 games. His final NHL stat line is 45 games, 10 goals, 4 assists. He ended up actually playing for 21 seasons playing professional hockey, including out in the WHL for 13 years. He was named the NHL's first diversity ambassador in 1996. And part of that is he travels around the country promoting the game and promoting the NHL and like kind of youth level events and was one of the instrumental faces of the Hockey is for Everyone program, which is part of the NHL's initiative to increase diversity within the league. So it's really awesome and kind of alarming, or not alarming, but like kind of amazing that it's happening on this day of all days. I think it's sweet. Yeah, it's like how fortuitous, right? Mm -hmm. Or serendipitous, perhaps. Sure. But, you know, this is probably a long time coming. Oh, absolutely. For O'Ree and for Boston. And it is great to see that, that we're seeing the NHL starting to at least kind of put some sort of face on what they want the, their league to look like in an ever diversifying world. Yeah. And in this season, which is going to be kind of weird, like why not lean into the history and why not like talk about these, you know, diversity issues and like everybody should be able to play issues. And I think this is one of the ways that you can really start to lean into that effectively. Yes. Yeah. Celebrating the past accomplishments of black players or people of color in the NHL becomes something that happen that helps future generations of people of color make it into the NHL as well. Willie O'Ree becomes the third black player to have their number retired. Grant Fuhrer in Edmonton and Jerome Ginla in Calgary both have their numbers retired as well. But more than that, it's it is an opportunity for the league to to expand it's historically very narrow foothold on the American and North American persona. Yeah, I love uh, that he has a elite prospects profile. <laughs> um, you know, implying that he could just come back into the league at any time. He could just strap the skates back on. Yeah, date he's, of birth, October 15th, 1935. Yeah, he's he's what? 80 85. 5. Yeah, yeah so 510 181. Sounds ready to play to me. Yeah, that's for 5'10". That's that's a good size. But uh, yeah, as you said, he only played 
what 45 games in the nhl but he mm-hmm. played a fuck ton of hockey everywhere else whl ahl ephl qhl for such teams as the san diego gulls and the los angeles blades um but he'll obviously be most remembered for his contributions to the boston bruins and the nhl so you know hats off to willie o'ree getting a much deserved honor today and hopefully we can see more of him in the future in the nhl and i think the goal here for us is to branch this conversation of willie o'ree getting what he so justly deserves uh from boston and you know celebration of his career his life and the ways in which he has helped the nhl become a more diverse league into what does what does the nhl do now to continue that work Mm -hmm. that we talked earlier about how our first eight episodes are in the vault somewhere (laughs) which is kind of a shame and we will get some of that content out eventually the good stuff yeah but we we spoke a lot during that restart because of the climate that we were in when the restart happened Mm -hmm. we had the upswell of protests throughout the united states and around the world especially here in portland the whole damn time especially here in portland so you know as as of right now the nhl is by far the least diverse league in north american sport leagues part of that yes is the places that it draws a lot of its people from its athletes from the scandinavian countries in russia Mm -hmm. are not very diverse places canada is also while diversifying is historically not a very diverse place right and has its own serious diversity problems but more with the respect to first nations people yes and so it is by far the whitest sport in the north american leagues and it's one thing to say like these are the communities that we have historically drawn from but it's another thing to say that in lieu of working as a league and as a sport to engage and involve yourselves in communities where you have historically not been engaged and supportive. And so we kind of drafted a couple of things that we would love to see the NHL do, ways that we can support the growth of the game in sectors of the population that have traditionally been marginalized by the sport. Yeah. And USA Hockey has its own initiatives that uh, we haven't covered here, and we could probably cover in the future, but uh, these are sort of like our ideas that would coincide with what they're doing. Yeah, this is not to say that nothing is being done. We don't want to no. say that. We what we are here to say, we want to see more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and especially, I mean, USA Hockey deserves a lot of credit. Yes, we'll, absolutely. We will caveat this whole discussion with that. So the first thing that is really, I think, important to point out is in growing the game is that hockey is expensive oh my god it's just for us beer league roller hockey players evan and i like it's expensive Mm -hmm. and we have jobs and are adults the the cost of not only playing hockey but also buying the equipment getting yourself ready to play hockey immediately prices out a large percentage of the population not to get too into the weeds here but we're watching like the death of the middle class in the United mm-hmm. States, that inequality gap, that that equity gap is further pricing more and more people out of the game of hockey, which is really sad to people like Evan and I who love hockey and want to see anybody partake in it that can. Hockey, because of how it's played, is expensive. The equipment you need it's not like soccer where you can legitimately just buy a ball and play. It's or not basketball, like basketball even cheaper. Yeah. Or basketball where you need hoops theoretically but you can learn to dribble and whatever mm. wherever you want as i always say hockey is the most expensive sport to not involve a horse yes <laughs> that's very fair we 
would like to see the NHL and its partners, both financial partners and its partners in, you know, the AHL, the WHL, the Canadian, the Canadian Hockey League come together and really support this grassroots, uh, a grassroots initiative and not just do it, but like really dive in headfirst in an effort to put financial backing into getting people who don't have the means to play hockey the ability to play hockey. If it's mm-hmm. a sport that somebody loves or is just interested in, the amount, like if you think of it from a financial standpoint, if the NHL spends $5,000 on getting a kid equipment and ice time and getting him into a team and that kid grows up to be an NHL player, that pays them back financially by an exponential amount. Mm-hmm. But outside of the financial ramifications the more important thing is you're giving a child the opportunity to try something new to branch out to evolve like i know there are a lot of people out there who think sports don't matter but i am somebody who grew up playing sports and watching sports and i'm here to tell you that sports do matter Mm -hmm. for the people who want to enjoy them and when you have a sense of identity within a community whether that's a sports team or a debate team or it's you know Mm -hmm. like you work in a community garden like that increases buy-in and it also increases happiness and joy. Mm-hmm. Like I work at a, at a higher education institution. And one of the ways that we try desperately to connect to our students is by making them feel part of a community. If somebody feels part of a community at, in higher ed, they are exponentially more apt to succeed and thrive and move on to bigger and better things. The same can be said for sports and for competition for a sense of belonging if you feel part of a team if you feel part of your community you are more invested you're more involved and you are more apt to succeed on that team and in that community so for the nhl to make these investments and like it's probably a lot of money i'm not gonna lie and i think they are making some inroads but yeah you know it's got to be one of those things where like i imagine sort of like a grant program for hockey coaches like hey i'm a hockey coach i would like x amount of equipment sets to get x amount of kids that wouldn't otherwise play on my team you know how would how would i do that i mean that's sort of framing it in the problem that everyday hockey coaches at the amateur level face yes absolutely when i was growing up my family we didn't have a lot of money i'm not going to sit here and say we were dirt poor or anything but like mm-hmm. we we weren't super affluent or anything like that so i played roller hockey because it was a couple hundred dollars per season as opposed to ice hockey which was a couple of thousand dollars per season a couple thousand dollars per season is a lot of money for families especially right now that are already struggling they're already hitting that financial wall reserves of money are running out for most people in this country now is the time to invest in communities invest in the sport and those communities that have been traditionally not served by hockey and try and grow the game in ways that meaningful ways that haven't really happened before Mm -hmm. the culture is there the culture is building like i encourage everybody to follow a black girl hockey on twitter like she's so good and i i forget the guy's name but it was a couple years ago i think it was a st louis blues fan and it was like he just discovered hockey and fucking loved it like that shit makes me so happy you know when when people find this community of hockey and how tight knit it is 
and then they get brought in with arms open, as Scott Stapp says. We can always do a better job. And I think, you know, you've got some good ideas for how we can continue to to put diversity in the forefront as we continue to develop the game. Yeah, I think the next thing that we would really like to see is for the NHL to celebrate the diversity in the sport every day, mm-hmm. as opposed to just MLK Day or just when there is a major uprising against institutionalized white supremacy in the U.S. and Canada. Those are great times to celebrate diversity, but at those times, you shouldn't be saying, oh, well, hey, we have a black player. You should be saying, these are the things we as a league stand for, and these are the things that we want are the countries that we are a league in to stand for as well. During the restart last summer, when everybody was in the bubble and the protests for Black Lives Matter against police brutality were happening throughout the country and or throughout the U.S. and Canada, you know, for the first round of the playoffs, mm-hmm. the NHL had the hashtag we skate for black lives. As soon as the quote unquote real playoffs started, that hashtag went away and it mm-hmm. was like we skate for Uncle Sam's <laughs> tap dancing at school or like the little like cute little kitsch things for each city that the nhl plays and that's fun but the moment hadn't ended the moment never ends until we eradicate white supremacy and white supremacist culture from this country the until NHL- further notice the moment is continuing yes this is ad infinitum <laughs> like so it would really be great to see the the NHL actually put some effort into celebrating the diversity that's in their game. Uh, uh, further effort. You know, yes. like we see what they're doing now, it's just too quiet. Yeah, like be loud about it. That's mm-hmm. that's okay. So we talked about in our segment a couple of episodes back about changing the language in our game to bring more people into that culture. There is going to be a segment of your fan base that is going to be upset because there are more black people skating on their ice rinks. And I think you're you're going to lose some fans, but guess what? They'll come back. You can put them on their taxi squad. You're going to lose. Yeah, you can put some fans on your taxi squad for a couple of years, and then they'll remember that they love hockey, and they'll forget mm-hmm. why they were mad in the first place. Mm-hmm. All of these people who are saying, oh, I'll never watch the NFL again because, oh, the players are kneeling. Yes, you will. <laughs> it's like saying you won't go to a grocery store again because oh my god that avocado was like 295 instead of 240 like it normally is you're removing yourself from something for a stupid reason mm-hmm. and the fact that you don't understand what players are doing by kneeling for the national anthem doesn't mean it's wrong and doesn't mean you'll stay away forever guess what you won't you'll be back because guess what you love the seahawks and <laughs> You know what? The Seahawks love you. They just want you to be more tolerant. In fact, they would love it if you'd be anti-racist instead of just not racist or less racist. So we would like to see the NHL celebrate the diversity in its game and really amplify those voices in an effort to bring more of those voices into the game that we love because the game is better when more people can enjoy it and more people can can feel welcome in it. Mm-hmm. And to a certain extent, we recognize that it's a little hard to do sometimes without being awkward or without putting people on the spot or, you know, without being tone deaf. And I guess you just kind of encourage them to lean into it and to try your best. And if it's earnest and 
well-meaning, then usually, you know, usually the good ideas rise to the top. To end this segment or put a ellipsis on the end of the segment, because we will be coming back to it. What Evan and I want to say is that we as a podcast need to do better as well. And so we are dedicated to bringing those voices to bring of women's hockey, of people of color in hockey, of those communities, and make sure that they feel elevated and expressed and welcomed. And so while we have this little stump we get on, yes, this like while we can get on our soapbox, we're going to try and do that as much as possible. So thank you for listening and thank you for letting us ramble and rant uh, about things that we think are meaningful and hopefully they're meaningful to you as well. Yeah. And we would love to hear your feedback on this subject or any of the other things we've covered here or just on the podcast in general. You can find me at Evan Stravers at basically anything. You can find us at handsomehockey.com. You can find us at Handsome Hockey on Twitter. You can find us at Handsome Hockey on Instagram. Jake, am I forgetting anything? So it's uh, at Handsome Hockey Podcast on Instagram. Oh. The Twitter is, we're, ju- we're learning this. So <laughs> we've just created these things. So we're not good at it yet. Let me, uh, the email is handsomehockeypod at gmail.com. If you have any suggestions for future entertainment, any suggestions for how we can get better sounding, or you know, you just want to comment, good yeah, or just bad, ha- just like, have some hate mail yeah. that we'll read in a mailbag. Like, yeah, we're absolutely welcome to, or we're absolutely thrilled to hear it uh, and the, looking forward to it. Yeah, the Twitter is at Handsome Hockey. If you want to reach us there, we are also relatively new to social media as far as running a business through it (laughs) so if we don't get back to you as fast as we possibly can we apologize but we are listening one of the first things that we kind of want to put out on people's radar is that we are starting a series on rivalries and what we really want to talk about first is philadelphia and pittsburgh one of the better historical classic rivalries in the nhl there's never not been hatred there, and that's what we want to hear about. So we have some feedback from some friends of ours that are Philly fans. We want some more of that. We are waiting for some feedback from Pittsburgh fans. So if we can get some of that, we would love to hear why you hate Philadelphia and why you hate Pittsburgh and why the other team is going to suck this year. <laughs> so get that to us. We, we really want to shine a light on some of the things that are in hockey right now that make it great. And one of those is the rivalries, the mm-hmm. like passion between the fans and the the teams themselves. We don't have Colorado and Detroit anymore, but damn it, we've got some good ones. <laughs> and uh, with that, I think we're going to say goodbye. So I've been Evan. This is Jake. Hi. <laughs> and uh, thank you for listening. This has been Handsome Hockey Podcast. And Yeah. Stay handsome, everybody. Take care. Bye.